Patient No Longer is a podcast featuring leaders in healthcare who are inspiring a positive shift in the customer experience and human understanding. In this podcast, we interview people who are from all areas of healthcare that are impacting the healthcare consumer journey of care. My name is Ryan Donahue, solutions expert and strategic advisor with NRC Health. And it's a pleasure to host Patient No Longer, a podcast in search of what's new, what's next, and what makes healthcare human again. Welcome back to Patient No Longer, the podcast that's rehumanizing healthcare one guest at a time. Today's guest is Kent Sona from Methodist Health System here in Nebraska. Kent, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ryan. It's really great to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you here. You've got an impressive resume, and we've got a lot of topics that we want to dig into that I think are very hot topics. You're Vice President, Chief Information Officer, Methodist Health System in Omaha, Nebraska. You are in the same state as me right now. And I think as a guest on this podcast, this is the first time it's been a Nebraska to Nebraska connection. You've got a vast background in information technology, both in healthcare and outside of healthcare. And then you also have a career in the U.S. Army before all of that. So it's fantastic to have a technologically focused person. Let's talk about some of the things you and I have picked up before. You're a technology leader. Tell me from your position, from your vantage point, what is healthcare consumerism? Ryan, from my vantage point, healthcare consumerism is the ability for our consumers to shop and get the type of healthcare services they want where and when they want it. So with that, consumers are becoming very educated, very smart. So in today's day and age, they want the ability to go research different providers, look at star ratings, see a little something about the providers, make a decision on who they feel would be the best fit for them and for the care they're looking for. And then they want the ability to receive those services when and where they want it. They want the ability to call in and use the phone if they want to. They want the ability to use a mobile platform if that's what they choose. A video visit, maybe come into the office. I often talk with my team and I joke about Little House on the Prairie. And now I'm probably aging myself a little bit. But I talk about how Doc Baker used to ride the horse and buggy out to Laura Ingalls Wilder's house. And you would go in and take care of Laura at her house. Well, that's come full circle. That's what our patients are looking for. If we can give them care in the house, they would prefer that versus having to go into a brick and mortar building in some foreign environment and get treated there. I think it's a great analogy. I think everyone, whether they've seen that show, whatever age they are, you can imagine that black leather bag coming to you and then it got completely reversed for like at least half a century. And now it's just saying, come back to me. So I agree with you on that. And that makes me think about convenience, which is something that throughout NRC health surveys, we see all the time, make it convenient, make it more convenient. This is too inconvenient when people talk about a bad experience. I have to ask you already off the bat about new entrants like Amazon and others who are already known as brands who are convenient for healthcare. And they're coming in and saying, you can book this and do that. And, you know, at the snap of a finger and the click of a button, you can do these things in healthcare. What is your take on the new entrants as you see them as competitors, but also just from the consumer lens of are consumers willing to go that route to kind of get their Doc Baker back, if you will? 
Yeah, you know, obviously Amazon and some of those big tech companies are encroaching into the healthcare space. I think they focus, you know, more on the pharmaceuticals, the deliver your medications to your door, things like that. They're really hitting the market heavy. They are looking into the healthcare aspect, acquiring clinics. So there is a challenge there and we need to be aware of it and we need to stay in front of it. One thing we try to pride ourselves on is the provider-patient relationship. So for those patients that you know, have a primary care provider here locally. They see that local doctor. They build that relationship with the doctor. That's some of that stickiness to keep them with the health system. But from the technology side, that's the things that we're looking for as we look at these mobile platforms, as we have conversations with our patients. It's, you know, what is that stickiness? What What is going to keep them with our health system when the Amazons do come in and they have, like you said, the technology side down pat? It's really easy to use, super user-friendly, simple clicks. But I think where we edge them out is on the healthcare side, the quality of care, the meaning of care. So it'll be an interesting combination, but it is a challenge that we keep our eyes on and something that we just need to continue to be aware of. Well, and I think it's really interesting when you cite relationship as one of our advantages. In my experience, and I was just at the Governance Institute Conference a couple of weeks ago talking to CEOs, board chairs. And there's so much focus on the new entrant themselves. So what Amazon is doing and what CVS is doing, and here's the features that they're rolling out. And I think sometimes that allows us to lose sight of what is our own competitive advantage. And that is that we've had the ability, pretty unencumbered, to build a relationship with consumers and patients over time. We see cap scores over the years. We see all kinds of surveys that have plenty of negative. We've got lots of scores that are flat as an industry. And so I think we struggled in many ways to build that relationship with our patients, which could be a really nice bulwark competitively against Amazon and others. When we get those things wrong in the experience or when we sort of let consumers down based on expectation, what are the effects of that on this relationship that you're trying to cultivate? Yeah, when, when we get those things wrong, obviously patients have a bad experience and then that can impact that relationship that they have with their providers. So as much as possible, we don't want to have those type of experience. Things that come up are long wait times, you know, challenges getting in for services or finding the right services. A big one I hear about is navigating insurance or trying to get their bills paid. Oftentimes you hear about a patient who came in for a surgery and they get a bill from the anesthesiologist, they get a bill from the surgeon, they get a bill from the hospital. And it's really hard to keep track of all those separate bills coming in and what they were all for. So ways to make that easier and more friendly for the consumers will make that more positive experience and allow for that stickiness because we don't want those frustrating experiences to occur because essentially what will happen is you'll start losing those patients to other organizations that are getting that stuff right. From a technology point of view, tell me more about that. We've talked about some of the really fantastic, you know, sort of consumer-centric technology tools that you've built to communicate with your patients, but they're not always getting that from insurance where they're getting, you know, the stack of mail with explanations of benefits that don't explain anything or, you know, dealing with the billing office over here at a different office that's disconnected with you. Do you feel like you only control part of that? And do you feel like the inconsistencies there are getting worked out or are they still plaguing a lot of patients left and right? So I, I do feel like they're still plaguing patients, but I do feel that we have some control in that and we have to leverage those partnerships. So 
I'm a firm believer in extreme ownership. And even though we might not be able to control exactly what the insurance companies are doing or what they're providing with their statements, you know, or explanation of benefits, we have the ability to communicate and influence them through our partnerships to say, look, this is what we're hearing from the patients. I'm sure they're hearing it from their uh, customers. And how do we collectively come together and make this better? It can't be us and them or we. It's got to be all of us collectively coming together to make this better for the consumers. So I think we have a responsibility to continue to press that with our partners and really look at that entire consumer experience and pull in those partners where we need to and work collectively to say, okay, how do we make this better for the end user? Because ultimately that's going to benefit all of us and our patients in the long run. Well, and I like the way you say that because I think it's so true that when we have successes, whether in technology or in general at the organizational level, a lot of times we talk about how, you know, we didn't wait for our insurance partners or other folks to to sort of innovate these things or do it themselves. And we didn't wait for the consumer to figure it out. Frankly, they're waiting for us. Right. But when you see barriers like issues like price transparency, figuring out, you know, an estimate ahead of time, which is just the toughest egg for us to crack as an industry. It's the opposite. You see a lot of organizations saying, well, look at all the ways in which our hands are tied and we really can't do anything about this. And yet I'm thinking that there's other things that you've overcome, like the telemedicine response in spring of 2020 for COVID. I mean, there's things where we just were able to shed some of those restraints and make it happen. But I think your point about extreme ownership is so important because if we don't feel that as a mindset, I don't think that we're going to get those things done or we're going to use excuses that are right there for us to claim. One of the things that I think plagues healthcare, and I hear this a lot at the leadership level, technology is almost treated as a separate thing. People kind of want to put it on technology island. And I think that's partially because personally, they don't always understand it. It's changing a lot. You know, the average age of a board member is 58 in healthcare and, you know, executives are around that. And so there's this idea of, gosh, you know, tech is so mystifying. I'm not sure what to do with it. And I think that's a huge hindrance because I think technology cuts across all of the initiatives that an executive team wants to get done. What's been your experience with that? I mean, you live this and breathe this. So do you also see that happening in the industry or do you see something else? You know, really technology is viewed sometimes as it's adding complication, it's change and change is hard for some people, especially when they're, they think something's working well, you know, this is going very well. Why would we change it rather than trying to stay ahead of the curve and introduce technology and allow things to get better or improve? So we do hear about how complex it is or how challenging it is. And sometimes we do that to ourselves. I'll use an example of like remote check-in that we rolled out here at Methodist. When we rolled that out, they wanted to boil the ocean, right? So the business wanted to get all their forms in there. They wanted to get, dot all your I's, cross all your T's, have all of this stuff done and just throw it out there. And the purpose of that was to try to cut down on the amount of work that was happening at the front desk, people standing up there where you have to check in, give your insurance card, all that cut back on some of that, but not necessarily remove all of it. Make it better for the patients, a better experience, slowly roll it out and introduce more functionalities that make sense. So by trying to boil the ocean on things like that, oftentimes the consumers get overwhelmed. And then again, it's technology's hard. This is way too complex. I'd rather just talk to someone. It's much easier. 
than taking some simple steps, getting them used to it. I think COVID introduced a lot of technology and people are getting more comfortable with it. We just got to make sure it's the right balance. Well, and I would support the idea that people are getting more comfortable with it. The co-author of my book, Patient No Longer, Dr. Stephen Glasgow, talks about how we crammed about 10 years of innovation into about three months in the spring of 2020. And we can do it at that speed when we need to. And the result of that, we recently did a study just sort of checking in on telemedicine because obviously it was everything in 2020 and 2021 as a stand-in for physical experiences. A lot of those physical experiences have come back, maybe not as much as we thought, but they've come back. And so a lot of people are saying, you know, where are we at with telemedicine? Can we still use it? Is it still around? One of the things that we saw in our research at NRC Health was that there's still a lot of excitement around using telehealth in the future. About 55% of consumers were excited to have another telehealth experience in the future. For reference, most consumers are not excited about using any part of healthcare <laughs> outside of maternity. Most of them are thinking, I have zero excitement and I hope I don't have that experience. But in telehealth, there was still this idea that, hey, I got comfortable with the technology, as you said. What do you see specifically for telemedicine in the future? Do you see it sort of going back to pre-COVID levels? Do you see it really becoming a boom, if you will, to accentuate a healthcare journey with physical and, and virtual kind of melded together? What are we looking at for the future of that? So telehealth here in the Midwest, we've seen it start to trend back to pre-COVID. So not as highly used. There are a number of people who do like the option. And there are some providers that like that option to meet with their patients. Some of the providers prefer to have the face-to-face -face visits. But what I've seen, and again, this is from sales folks showing some of the numbers that they're showing out in the industry on the coasts, it's more prevalent. It seems like telehealth is really kicking up in those areas. And I have a feeling in the future, uh, we will start to see an increase in the Midwest. So when you think about telehealth, when you think about remote patient monitoring, things of that nature, I think we're going to start to see more and more of it. I think maybe here in the Midwest, they're just a little slower to adopt it. Even though it did kick up during COVID, it's really easy to go back to those ways from previous that people were comfortable with. That's kind of what we're seeing right now within our industry or within our market. That makes a lot of sense. And one thing I wanted to go back to was this idea of adding complication. I think some physicians at this point are like, listen, if I can see my patients physically again, bring them back physically. I don't really want to do telemedicine, which, you know, not wanting to do it is not always the best reason to do it. When you have consumers out there who say, listen, if you could save me the trouble of having to take off work or find childcare or park and find your office, I would love that. So when we talk about technology as adding complications, what's your thought about balancing that out? Because I can see, I can picture that board saying, oh boy, this is another solution we have to invest in and those aren't cheap. Are you able to counter that or is there tips or tricks you could tell people for countering that with, sure, it adds complication on this side of the scale, but on the other side for consumers, it does some positive things. It's really about measurable objectives, you know, is a big part of it. Part of it is consumer satisfaction in the surveys that we see where the patients talk about their experience and we'll see negative comments around some of the technology, but we'll see a lot of positive comments but it's really around the data. So what we've done to combat it. So I think about when we rolled out texting appointment reminders, seems pretty simple. 
But a lot of people were pushing back on that, seeing that we've got customers that are complaining. They're getting too many texts. The texts are confusing. You, know, you just hear the whole gamut of excuses. And then you hear other people that absolutely love the solution. So what we do is we go back to data. We look at utilization data. How many of the patients then we provide data back saying, look, 85% of your patients are utilizing texting appointment reminders and they're confirming their appointments. And our no-show rate has gone from 5% down to 3%. So we're seeing a lot of value for the system and we're seeing patients that are leveraging this. And then when those leaders start to see that data, the facts, then they have different conversations with the front end staff because it's no fault of their own. They're trying to do what's best for the patients, but they're listening to the one or two that are complaining and they're ignoring the 50 they saw that day that didn't say anything because they liked it. So those are the type of conversations we have. And we try to use data to really combat that just to show the facts. These are the facts behind it and let the business ultimately drive the decision. But when they have the facts, it makes it much easier. There is a certain human psychology that dips into that. You know, I'm thinking of the physician that maybe fixates on those two or three patients that were clearly the outlier, as you suggest. And I think about the administrator who, you know, looks at a dashboard that has 40 green cells and seven yellow and three red, but they just get drawn to those three red cells or those negative comments or whatever. And, and I think it can really hamstring us from understanding what we are doing well. You know, you mentioned physician ratings and reviews. You know, we purchased a company and made that part of our platform about eight years ago. And we go across the country and we'll do a composite of five-star ratings. You know, what's the average rating that a patient gives their physician? It's 4.6 stars. Most patients like their physician. It's the Google reviews that have two reviews for a doctor who have one-star reviews because they went to all that trouble to find you and try to whack you online. But for most patients, they really do appreciate their physician. Is there other ways that you've used technology? You know, I, I love this idea about measurable objectives. And I think sometimes that's missing in our logic. Is there other ways that you've been able to apply that to Methodists to sort of, you know, get people out of a certain mindset or just bring some clarity to this issue of providing a great patient experience? Yeah. So what we've done from an IT perspective to really kind of highlight, you know, the value of technology, we have an IT governance process where ideas are submitted by the business. We'll go in and we'll research those ideas. We'll come up with technology solutions to help deliver on those ideas. But part of our project planning then uh, before anything gets approved by the governance committees and put in is that executive sponsor from the business has to come up with measurable objectives. That way it's just part of our culture, right? They know that if I'm submitting an idea, these are the measurable objectives behind the idea. This is what we're trying to do to improve either patient care, patient safety, patient satisfaction. Maybe they're trying to save expense, things of that nature. So that all then is part of what is presented to that governance committee. And then they approve it and then they prioritize it. And then we work based on those priority orders. We have those meetings once a quarter, and then that helps it just become part of our nature to know that anything that we do, we've got measurable objectives tied to it to see, did it move the needle or didn't it? Because sometimes we think these great ideas will move the needle, and they really don't. They keep us in the same place, and then we have to figure out, okay, you know, why is that? What can we adjust? What can we do to make that better? And maybe go back out and talk to our patient family advisory committees and say, hey, 
this was an idea that came up through you guys. It made it through our governance. We've implemented it, but it doesn't really seem to be moving the needle, missing the mark on something, but it really gives us the ability to visualize that and then kind of close the loop and make sure that we're doing the right things. And hopefully we're moving the needle each time. Well, and when you don't, or, you know, someone says, I think this is great, but, you know, let's try it. And you don't have those measurable objectives and you can't tell if it's a success or not. Think about the opportunity costs of the energy you spent and something else you could do. But I do really like that, you know, your gut check there or part of those measurable outcomes is really the effect on the patient. So what we've talked about before is, you know, how can technology kind of move toward the consumer? And away from the tower where, you know, we're very comfortable, but the consumer and the patient really are not. And so this two-way street, and I know that this is something important to you. Tell me a little bit about that philosophy that you have personally and that you also have at Methodist about sort of meeting the patient where they are and why that's important now. Yeah, I think, you know, it kind of goes back to the consumers want the ability to shop and consume data where they want to consume it, right? And that's really important to us. We want to keep that first and foremost in mind as we think about our patients and what they want. So, you know, it goes back to that Doc Baker example. So the things we're looking at is really patient engagement. A lot of that is education and communication. Our patients, they're extremely intelligent. They're smart. So the more information we can provide to them, the more good interactive two-way communication, the more educated they can be on whatever procedure or process they're going through. So we use solutions like that to help with that education piece. So when they have a certain episode or a certain maybe diagnosis, we'll proactively send out communication so they're aware of what to expect when they come in for their visit. During their visit, we have patient engagement type platforms, specifically around labor and delivery right now where we've initially rolled this out, where the patient interacts with the television in the room. They can do training, they can do education. They can put information in there on their pain management, et cetera. And then when they leave the hospital, again, education around what to expect. Part of that is to head off a lot of the calls that come in. So the staff is used to saying, okay, yeah, we typically get calls with questions around these areas around these times. Well, if we can head that off by proactively engaging the patient, communicating with them, it can one cut down on some of those calls as well as empower the patient, get them more involved in their health. Moving towards the consumer, you know, we talk about telehealth. Although it's not big right now in the Midwest, I think that's going to continue to grow. We're looking at remote patient monitoring. So there's been a lot of studies out there. If you go do the research around how much better people recover from certain procedures when they're in the comfort of their own home, not getting woken up constantly in the middle of the night and being able to monitor those patients remotely at home, getting the data back at the health system, and then only bringing them in when they need to to the point where you could even do some hospital at home. So there's a lot of things like that that we're looking at doing. That's very exciting as well. It certainly harkens back to the Doc Baker model, but entirely different technological point of view of coming into the home to do this. You know what's interesting too, Kent, you're stirring up something that I was just researching. It'd be interesting to get your technology take on this. So we ask consumers reflect back on the most recent healthcare journey you had and tell us the first step. When did it really feel like you were on this journey? And we gave them a bunch of possible answers. Could have been when you first sensed an issue with something, you know, my knee is starting to hurt. It could be when you walked in and saw the doctor's office, someone at the front desk or saw the doc themselves in a white coat. 
But the number one answer by a bit was when I make the appointment, when I set an appointment and I have a scheduled time, that was when these folks who'd had a consumer journey of care reflected back, said, that's when the journey started. You've talked a little bit, at least around this, but this idea of booking that appointment as a first step. Tell me more about your take on that. As an industry, do we make that easy? When you hear the horror stories about trying to get an appointment, getting one in its four months out, some of those things. Tell me from a technological perspective, is that changing and what's the effect on the consumer there? Yeah, it's definitely changing. So, you know, I would agree in the past, it was very challenging to get an appointment all around, you try to find information on who to go to. A lot of times you were just getting referred by your primary provider. There wasn't a lot of research that you could do. And all of that is changing. A lot of health systems now have the ability to do online scheduling. So that is starting to become more prevalent out in the market where you can go out and you can do the research on providers. You can see the star ratings. You can schedule online. The big challenge we're seeing right now is the providers that offer the online scheduling. So you've got a lot of providers that either have full patient panels or they're not you know, ready for the new technology yet. So on the one side, we're working with the providers to try to get them to open up some slots in their calendar to allow for online scheduling. But the providers that are open to that and that are opening their schedules up uh, are seeing you know, their patient panels grow. They're seeing a lot more patients daily. So it's been very effective. And I know the patients really like it, being able to do that online. And then we got to have the availability. So sometimes, again, when people are looking for open slots, it might be two weeks out, three weeks out. So we need to make sure we're combating that as well and trying to allow patients to get in and see providers you know, quicker, more readily. We do have urgent care to help with that, but not everything would be an urgent care visit. So those are some of the things we work through and I think we'll continue to improve on. But it is huge. I'd agree that was one of the first solutions that we rolled out and we've seen a lot of success with that. We've seen a lot of new patients to the health system with that. That's some of those measurable objectives we've looked at is how many new patients is it driving to the system? And then that relationship thing gets built with the provider. And then that's where the stickiness starts. And then if we can add some other technology solutions in, like we've discussed wayfinding, some other things to keep that stickiness, I think that'll be really beneficial to our system in the future. Well, and having those, you know, powerful first steps and feeling like people are starting that journey off on the right foot is really powerful. And I think too, one thing we see in our data across the country is that people are hungry for a positive healthcare experience out of COVID. And, you know, there's a sort of reintroduction to healthcare that they seek that's, you know, some sort of normal form of healthcare again. And so to your point, I think you're taking the opportunity to make sure that reintroduction is as strong as possible and starts that connection off right. And then, you know, what's interesting about in-room, you know, one of the things we've talked about is the technology you use on televisions as just sort of this third party. You know, if you can't have a nurse in front of you or someone else on staff, a human in the room, which we always love, and there's no replacement for that, but you can accentuate that by sharing information in a different way in the room so that it's sort of through osmosis that patient understands some of those things. A recent guest of mine, Paul Coyne of HSS in New York, talked about how they've got a device that can actually monitor the patient and understand if there's confusion or they need to ask a question and alert that straight to the nurse who can then come in. So I love that sort of triangulation between the caregiver, the patient, and then where can we accentuate that relationship? 
I got to ask you about the backside of the journey and technology wise on this too. And this is the issue of price transparency is what we call it in the industry, but consumers really call it affordability. And can I afford this? And that's not just a question they're asking after the fact as they're sorting through bills. They're asking that question as they book that appointment, as they come in to be seen, as they're maybe laid up in a hospital bed for an overnight stay. They're saying, can I afford this? Where have you seen this issue go? Because we kind of put this on the back burner during COVID. And now, you know, CMS is coming back in and they're ratcheting up some things and tightening up the pressure and increasing the fines. So tell me a little bit about on the back end, paying the bill, affording healthcare. Where are we at as an industry with that? Well, price transparency, I think, is really important. And, you know, we put out a lot of information. So, you know, on our website, you put out, you know, what the different procedures cost. So as those early discussions started, the quick hit was get the data out about what we know the health system charges for different procedures. From there, we've worked with the insurance companies and through third-party tools that we could acquire where it could allow the patient the ability to say, okay, this is the procedure I want to have, you know, at Methodist. And this is my insurance that I have, whether it's, you know, Blue Cross or Aetna or UHC or whatever. And then it would come back and give them what they could expect to pay, you know, after their insurance coverages. So I think that's really important to patients. We're not fully there yet. We continue to work on it. But again, that's one of those collaboration spaces where we're all coming together and doing our part to say, how do we make this better for the consumers? Um, Because we do need that price transparency. Patients need to know what to expect uh, for these procedures. I would like to think it wouldn't hold them from getting something done, especially something that they really need to get done. But again, they can see exactly what it's going to be. They could look at other options. Uh, we could look at, you know, social determinants of health, partnerships there. How can we make things, you know, better for the patients? Uh, is there any aid out there, et cetera? So I think all of that is coming together as we've had many discussions in a lot of that space. Well, and you're breaking through to the biggest thing that's important to consumers, and that is what is my out-of-pocket cost? As much as consumers have a curiosity around total cost and what is my insurance saving me, right? Because I'd pump money into that every month. And what is my insurance doing for me? But ultimately that out-of-pocket cost is what they need. And we track consumers who are putting off care. And the number one reason right now in 23 is I have the fear that I won't be able to afford this. And so that causes me to think I can manage it on my own, or maybe I'll wait a little longer, put it off. We don't want them to do that. So I think even breaking through with the basic information on the front end is critical. I hope there's more of that in the future. And I know you and I have talked about the future of technology and where healthcare is going now that we can kind of get our wits around us as we emerge from COVID. But tell me more about this, because I think there's a lot of work to be done to ensure that people continue to trust us, which new entrants make that trickier, but just also that people continue to be loyal to us as we reintroduce ourselves to them post-COVID. In your field, what is the role of technology in that? And where do you see this industry going in the next two, three, five, as far out as you want to go? What's the future hold? Yeah, so I think technology plays a significant role in that. And our responsibility, right, is to pay close attention to, you know, our providers and our staff in exactly the things that they're looking to do to improve the quality of care, availability of care, et cetera as well as listen to our patients and our community 
around their needs and what they're looking for. So in order to keep that relationship tight, what we do is with Methodist, they have a patient family advisory committee. There is a committee that meets with the hospitals. There's a committee that meets with the clinics. And from an IT perspective, we've asked to participate in those meetings. So during those discussions where they talk about maybe services at the hospital, services at the clinics, we take a portion of time and we talk about technology. We ask them about challenges they've had from a technological perspective, pain points, ideas maybe on how things could be better. We're starting to partner with other solutions on the patient side, like Salesforce, for example, where you can have more proactive communication with your patients and understand those demographics. For example, like when a patient calls in today, it's hello, you know, who am I speaking with? And, you know, once I get their name, I have to look them up, et cetera. But with some of the tools here, we'd be able to pop the screen for our call representatives. It would pop up and I would be able to say, hey, Ryan, I see that you're calling in today. I noticed that you have an appointment tomorrow. Are you calling in about that appointment? So a way that those solutions can help us identify the number, identify who's calling, pre-populate the screen with a lot of data. And now that conversation becomes very different and the patients start to build that trust on, hey, these people really do know me. They're engaged with me. They know what's going on. So uh, we're looking at things around remote rounding. So uh, we'll have uh, centralized nurses here at the hospital. So out on the floors, then we'll have cameras in each room in the future where remotely they can go in and they could answer questions and they can do patient education. And you have a face-to-face visit on the TV with one of our nurses. And then that allows the nurses on the floor to focus more on the bedside care when that type of care is needed. So it's just a way to better care for the patients and to leverage your resources more effectively to cover more ground using some of those education type pieces. So there's a lot of stuff we're looking at. And it's really exciting to think about, you know, where we go with the future around technology, around healthcare. There's just so much that can be done. It is exciting. And there's a lot that can and and will be done. You know, one of the things that we, most recent technology solution we acquired and have innovated on is the patient portal, formerly known as patient wisdom. We now call it stories at NRC Health, but essentially it allows a very friendly website that a patient can go in and write things about what they're afraid of, you know, what their biggest concerns or expectations are, their kids, their pets, all these sort of things that then can go in front in a summary view of a caregiver before they walk in the room. So it accentuates and helps you to remember things about the patient that help that connection, that relationship. But at the core of it, as exciting as technology is, you know, one of the things that you cited right up front with patient family advisory councils is it's human beings doings. So the technology is helping them. But at the core of this, it's a human to human interaction. I think that's incredibly powerful. Some of the things we do too is like just rounding. I encourage my staff all the time and I get out and do it as well. Just go to the hospital or go to a clinic and round. You'd be surprised at what you'll see. You know, you go back to like faxing papers. Um, there was times I would walk into an area and I'd be watching and they're taking paper faxes off. They're scanning them in. They're trying to add them to the charts. And there's things we could do with electronic faxing. So to streamline some of that workflow, it's really simple. You see it, you think, oh, this is a no brainer. We could do this, but they're not aware of those technologies. Then you come in and you implement something like electronic faxing. Now they don't have this stack of a hundred papers that someone has to try to scan in and add to the chart, it automatically goes into a folder and they add it to the chart from there. 
or even better, if we can get it automatically to add to the EMR, you know, that's better yet. They don't have to do anything. So little things like that really help either employees or same with consumers. You may see challenges consumers are having, and you can come up with ideas on how to make that better and then present that back to the business. And ultimately we, we let them decide and drive what makes sense for them. But we love to see what some of those challenges are, come up with possibilities and then let them drive them from there. Yeah. And it's not just what you add because yes, it, it can add a new layer of something and, and maybe that's uh, adding complexity, but it's also about what you eliminate. I mean, eliminating the stack of a hundred papers cannot be discounted on how that has positive effects on everyone involved, everyone that had to deal with that stack of papers. Let me ask you this, artificial intelligence, AI, it's heating up, is one way to put it. Where do you see AI in that future of healthcare and IT? I think AI plays a, probably a big role in the future of healthcare, kind of as a, I would say an advisor. So, you know, providers ultimately will still, you know, make decisions on patients, et cetera. But AI can definitely put a lot of knowledge and information at their fingertips that they can leverage very quickly to be able to make those more educated decisions because you can't remember everything. And then, you know, there's chat GPT out there you hear about. There's just a lot of things AI is going to be able to help with. Chatbots, engaging with patients, helping cut down on some of the time spent by individuals today with some of that. We have to be careful that you know, prejudice isn't put into those chatbots, you know, or the, the AI technology. I've read a lot of articles around that where it learns so it could learn prejudices, et cetera. So there's a lot of stuff that we have to keep a good eye on it. I think it has great potential for the future, but right now it's, it's a little early to tell. We previously used the analogy on this podcast of it's a little bit like nuclear energy. There's good ways to use it. There's right. very, very bad ways to use it. But I'm glad that you're not, you know, telling me to run for cover, Kent, that uh, the AI is coming for me. And I think you're right. The advisory thing is very interesting. I, I was just listening to a piece on how pharmacists, if they fill two different prescriptions in different ways and it doesn't match a typical standard, AI can pop in and say, hey, just so you know, this is typically what's done and you're doing this instead. Is that cool? Right. You know, is that good? I don't know if AI is that casual when it asks that, but it essentially it's just double checking your work, which great, because if you did intend to do that, you could say, yes, go away. And if you didn't, it could catch something major that you would absolutely want backup on. So great. Absolutely. And, and it learns from that, right? So then it would learn for the next time. So I do see a lot of value in that. We've looked at a number of solutions and through our EMR, there's some of that, you know, just like detecting sepsis, for example, it can look at different information about the patient, maybe sex, age. And then it looks at vital signs, all different things going on. And it can do early detection and warning that even before someone goes into sepsis that, hey, the way things are looking and trending, here's an alert so we can get in front of it before someone has any issues or complications. So we're seeing some value there from our EMR and yeah, the sky's the limit. There's a lot of potential there in the future for AI. Well, in all of these tools, you know, whether it's AI, online scheduling, ratings and reviews, I think the ultimate denominator is the patient. And, and that's what I hear from you as well, is that, you know, it's it's ultimately how does it advance patient care, improve quality, but but build a relationship with human beings. And and if it does those things, 
It's got to be good. I have to ask you, you're in an elevator at Methodist with someone who's walking in and it's their first day in healthcare. What is a piece of advice you give to them on healthcare day one? So, you know, I'd let them know to be kind and compassionate to every person they encounter. Patients and families are placing their trust in us to care for them during some of their most vulnerable times. And you never know what someone's going through, especially when they're in the hospital and you're passing them in the hallways. So, you know, I'd, I'd remind them to keep patient safety a priority, make sure they're communicating effectively, always put the patient first, be open to learning and growing in their role. Here at Methodist, we have an amazing culture that truly values our employees and, you know, advancing their careers. So don't be afraid to ask questions. If you don't understand something, ask. And then more importantly, take care of themselves, both physically and emotionally, because you hear about the burnout, people getting stressed out. We want to make sure that our employees are really taking care of themselves, looking out for their own well-being. And if there are any challenges, you know, reach out to employee relations. There's a lot of services available for those employees. And then finally, I tell them, if you have any technology problems, give me a call. That might be the piece of advice they latch on to the most out of fear. Call Kent. If you need something in technology, he's your phone a friend. I don't know if that goes for all the listeners, but at least for the person in the elevator. And I do like what you said about, you know, you never know what someone's going through, whether that is a fellow associate, someone you work with, or it's a patient or a patient's family member. You really don't know what they're going through. And, you know, it, it needs to be, we need to be good humans in that sense. I love this conversation, Kent. I mean, it gives me a lot of hope for technology in the future. I think there's a lot of unnecessary fear or angst around some technology components, but you've rooted all of this in how it improves the human experience in healthcare, which is what we're all here for in the first place. Absolutely. That's the mission. Well, thank you for sharing your mission with us today and for being on Patient No Longer, and we will bid you adieu until the next time. All right, Ryan. Thanks for having me.